a listener production. Rekapoldi is a chef's chef. Ask anybody in the industry with any clout about Rekapoldi and they've always got something to say. He's trained and influenced some of this country's best. When he opened Phoenix Restaurant and Events back in 2000, with yours truly, it was a place to go. He was one of Melbourne's trailblazers, well before all that culinary playfulness took hold anywhere else in Australia. He opened Hair and Grace in 2009 and then decided about five years ago, much to everyone's surprise, to take his business career in a completely different direction. Wonder Pies was born, and having gone from strength to strength, Baked2Co followed shortly afterward. You may well have been to one of his many pop-ups without even knowing the culinary wizard behind them. Think about chunky cauliflower, melted leeks and vintage cheddar in a pie. Sounds good, doesn't it? Summer trifle tart or lemon meringue muffin? What about a cheeseburger pasty or a Christmas turkey pie? Your imagination goes crazy, doesn't it? I'm getting hungry just thinking about them. He doesn't forgive fools easily. I think you'll get that message as you listen to the podcast. And he's never been one to shrink away from the truth, however hard it might be to hear. But he has a heart of gold, and that is what makes him unstoppable. Ray Capaldi, welcome. Great to be here. Oh, mate, I feel there's a little, I don't know, the hair <laughs> stood up on the back of my head when you stepped in the studio. It's nice. It's nice. And we've got together a few times, but we haven't worked together since Phoenix, which was probably 2007, something yeah, like that. It's yeah, a long yeah. time, isn't it? Well, it is, because you, you were part of a family. You know, you were like a brother to me and uh, still are, you know, and, and uh, we've taken different paths, but it's good to be in touch and it's good to always see you. Yeah, it feels nice, it's, doesn't it? It brings a smile to my face. We were talking about what you did on the weekend and you said you bought a few cookbooks and I just did that. Oh, that's right. It's Raymond. 8,000 cookbooks you reckon you've got? Yeah, I've got about 8,000 now. I just, <laughs> it's from, you know, it's just from every asset, you know, from Donna Hay to Ferry and Adria, yeah. you know, and... Uh, you know, he's just inspiration. And still, you know, 55-year-olds and still I get inspired or it makes yeah. my day to just read and, and, and find out what's going on behind the recipes. Do you think that's what separated you very early on? I mean, we talked about you being one of the trailblazers in, in Melbourne back in the, really, I suppose, what, mid-90s, you know, when it all really started to build momentum. You're an avid reader back then. Like, you obviously got lots of experience elsewhere in the world, mm -hmm. but you're constantly consuming information. Do you reckon that's what it is? Yeah, I just loved it, Gary. And I, I, th I think when I came to Melbourne, I uh, I was reborn as a cook, you know, because Melbourne, Melbourne's a sensational city, you know, and and uh, I wanted to be the best at that time. And, and I think when when you're in London, you're sticking to that that normal Marco Pierre White era that was there, mm. and everybody was trying to do that. But I wanted to be a bit different, and everything from risotto to cooking the best schnitzel was very important to me, you know. And and sometimes it, it got a bit more than it should have been for me. What, in a, terms of complication? or uh, complication, creativity, or? creativity, demanding a lot of people uh, to try and get up there to be the best. So I, th I think, you know... Uh, but that's how you get good, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I remember back in, you know, sorry to cut you off, but I remember, you know, Sofitel days where I met, because I joined you as the exec sous, you were the, the exec the, chef, and they brought you in to kind of turn it upside down, which we did with a wry smile. But some of the food back then was smashing. You know what dish I was remembering this morning? We used to do a, uh, like it was a char siu, I think, of lobster, and it was on almost like a Kermit green pea puree. Do you remember that yeah, one? Yeah, I remember that. And Stunning dish. Great, great dishes at that time, yeah. you know, and all that sort of style is, is, is coming now, and you just you just laugh at it. But I think, look, the the situation with the turn, as you say, turning it upside down, and, and I think I could have managed it better. I think I think I was very young 
and naive at that time as well. And I think I could have managed my uh, my temperament and and uh, passion a, a lot better. But you know, coming from London, where you know it was dog eat dog. I think uh, coming to Melbourne was a different situation and I should have grown into that situation because it was a better environment. Mm. But I should have handled it a lot better. But It's always a difficult one though, isn't it? Because I think somebody said to me the other day at a dinner with friends, two nurses on the table were talking about terrible behaviour of surgeons, you know, like bedside manner or not. Sorry to all the surgeons out there. It's not all of you, but uh, one in particular. And I said, but surely, you know, you're talking about somebody who saves lives, you know, is it kind of them that, you know, understand this kind of, High standard. I know who I want. If I was having a heart operation, yeah. I want the best guy or the best woman on the job, wouldn't you? And so do, do you think it's a hard it's a hard balance, isn't it, having somebody who's exceptionally creative and then expecting them to be able to tick all the other boxes as well and be it, a great manager and a great people person at the same time? Yeah, it is. I mean, you, you got it. I mean, I always try to surround myself with, uh, with great people. And I mean, even in the hotel, it was building that wall. So nobody can destruct you, you know. Mm. And I think that's that was one of the things I've always learned, and always trying to continue on to make sure that you've got what you're not good at. You make sure that people around you. We had you at that time who was, you know, an all round your your bistro food and 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 your your knowledge and everything, and you're a very very well organised person, which I wasn't because I'm I'm off the cuff. You got to build that that structure up. But sometimes, you know, when when that that situation occurs, it it, it sort of gives you. A, Insecurities sometimes that you 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 maybe pass on to other people that you shouldn't be passing it on. You should you just keep focused and, and be organised. I think there's better ways to do it, and, and I've learned. I think I've, I've learned mm. a little bit. Ways still, you know, I still let myself down sometimes. So when right. when you talk about that, you're talking about the balance of say inspiration. You know, mm. for example, young chefs at the time. I think we back in the day we're employing about twelve or fourteen apprentices a year yeah. into the team because that was about a hundred and. 30 chefs, something like yeah, that. So that's a chefs. big responsibility. You remember the uh, Apprentice Morning Teas, which was one yeah, of your, yeah. you know, your kind of things. And the which, Academy. And the Academy, which, yeah. you know, if you look at, say, you know, George Columbaris and people like Luke Cross and even Anna, Anna Polivieu, all at the same mm. time at Sofitel, using that Academy, part of that Academy, and yeah. being successful because of it, right? Yeah. So really inspirational. So is that what you're talking about? That that balance of kind of creativity, inspiration, and then passing on the right traits is that yeah, what you mean? That, that, that's it. But then and 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 then you had that that demon always beside you. You know, if you if you let your skills down and if you let your uh, your standards down because mm. these other people can't keep up with you, it was a very uh, double edged sword. And I still feel that now because in, in in times you know I've, I've got my baker say to me, "Oh, Ryan, why do you worry about that little crack in the sausage roll?" You go because I do worry about it. They go, "Yeah, but any other bakers will uh, I'll let that go." I goes, yeah, but you're not working for any other baker. You're mm. working for me. And that that situation is you try and let it go because you go, you know what? It's not it's not really important, to be honest with you, because mm. nobody will notice that. But then you'll walk out and someone will say, oh, you know, there was a little crack in that. So, she's so they do notice. So they do notice. <laughs> you know, and it's these little one percenters that, that add, add up. But yeah, I think it's it, it came to the point where I've, I've got to take out what's got to be actually more important. Mm. Is to make sure you put it over properly and 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 manage people, especially in this day now. You got to be careful what you say now, you know, because yeah. it's very important. That's a it, different world. I mean, yeah, you know, the, the Sofitel '96. That's you know, twenty odd, twenty five yeah. years ago, right? But so it was a great a base. Ago. It was a great yeah. base for everybody. We had yeah. a great. It was, it was it was a place where everybody still still lives by. Everybody still talks about it, and and there were great people in that place. But yeah. everybody had the same goal. Which was which was vision. an achievement and yeah. the vision. 
you know. Is that what you think you're most proud? Of? I mean, I hate to focus it because I didn't mean to focus on it yeah. specifically, but it just came up. But is that what you're most proud of? Do you think? Because you changed the food enormously there. I remember when I walked into the kitchen. I think one of the first things I had to sort out was banquets, which was terrible. I remember, you know, I think what fifteen, sixteen hundred covers you know, in yeah. terms of capacity and just pumping out kind of average food. Yeah. And you turned it on its head because you wanted restaurant standard food for everyone, whether it was with 10 people or a 1,000 people, yeah. which we did. I, I really don't know what my biggest achievement <laughs> is. But, you know, Phoenix was up there with one of them. My biggest uh, achievement for me was probably hearing grace was because, as you say, you have secu- insecurities in your life and you think, you know, I'm, I'm a... I'm a I just do the job. If there's if there's any problems, I just get on with it. And uh, you you know I'm not g- good with figures, but you learn to be good at figures, and that can stop you in life. And I think you need to learn to say, you know what, just do it. You know, as, as Richard Branson says, accept the job, even though they're saying to you, uh, you know, nothing about this job. Just accept it and, and learn. I think, and that's a, the best approach in life. I think you can do. You know, you you should not put walls up that you can't achieve. Because that that stunted my and gave me anxiety quite a bit, that and and that anxiety then turned into anger. Because you you worried about not being able to do something that you hadn't learned, maybe when you're at school or you're at college. Is that what you? Yeah, mean? yeah. Is is stuff like that, or or it's, it's I didn't find it it was valuable at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I reckon I've got gut feel. If you give me a, a spreadsheet and all that stuff, I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not want to listen to it. You know what I mean? Because. I know that I can get out that where I'm going or where my the big picture is. Yeah. And I think that's more important, the big picture, than looking at spreadsheets because I think it can kill you sometimes. Yeah, but that's that's the difference, spirit. isn't it, between an entrepreneur, someone who sets a business up and thinks from a creative perspective, and then somebody who runs a business. I think I was even reading in the paper, and make, correct me if I'm wrong because I might be wrong, people will be jumping up and down going, no, Gaz, it's not right. But I think they were talking about Tesla. It's time for Elon Musk to you know, step sideways. Yeah. He's created this incredible business, you know, it, with imagination and creativity and drive and vision. But now the shareholders are looking at it and going, we want better. We want yeah. better returns. So you yeah. know who's moving in. Management are moving in. And yeah. that's okay because they're two different jobs, aren't they? Yeah, they're two different things, George, but it can actually stagnate a company as well. Sure. You know what I mean? Because the the, uh, the pen pushers come in and the accountants come in, they can mm. ruin a business. So you got it's, it's a very fine line, you know, mm. and, and, and that's the situation. I've always had great people beside me, not because you're sitting right in front of me, is you were there. You, you learnt me a lot and you're, a lot of this stuff still sticks with me. Mm. Then I've got another great person beside me is Jodie Crocker, you know, and she she is just the... So mate. your business partner, your life partner. Yeah, business partner, life partner. She's just incredible. You know, and I just seem to get these people beside me that keep me on that 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 road. You know, that I don't need to worry about the other stuff. They do that for me, mm. and and then they'll show me and say, oh, "No, Raymond." But sometimes we, it's it's like I always take this thing with my father. You know, my father. Oh, that's a big. Oh, don't want to be touching <laughs> that, mate. You know, it's just too big a job. You know. Oh, don't. Oh, you really want to do that? You want to take that? Oh, it's a big risk that one. Mm. And that I think that's what always pushed me. And what to be opposite of to be of opposite that. of my father. Mm. But my father could have been so much. He's a great man, and I, and I hold him highly. But he could have been so much. But it just—it's that old Scottish thing that you you, mm. you don't want to go out your comfort zone. And life is all about going out that comfort zone and making making sure you do what you need to do mm. because you're only to blame, not anybody else. And don't blame anybody else for what you you achieve. You know, just just go out and and try. 
and that's that's all you can do. Sounds like it, it was a driver for you. It was a driver because even even my mum, you know, even my mum was the same. But when I got my mum into the fish and chip business back in Scotland, it, it was a game changer for them as well, you know, because they they started to realise that you know I can do stuff. I can, you know, you had my mum walking around with this little plastic bag full of money from the fish and chip shops, and 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 it gave them a life, you know. So it set them up, and I set them up with eight hundred pound at that time to get into the shop, organise, and we became one of the biggest, a, a good name. It's as much a generational thing. But I think also there was a, if you think back to that period, there was a lot of pain. That that response to, well, be careful, yeah. there was a lot of pain. I mean, I know World War II was a long time ago, but yeah. there was a recovery for Britain, you know, whether it was Scotland, Ireland or Wales or England, there was a recovery, but then there was financial hardships. There was Maggie Thatcher along the way that decimated a lot of communities you know, well, that, that, killed, that killed it, and, and, and that's, I still see that. So there's now. a lot of pain. So yeah. the, the, you'd understand, wouldn't you, that your parents, I mean, my dad was the same. He'd go, oh, don't spend that. Be careful. Put yeah. it aside because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and it is, and, it's, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's, it is great to always have that kind of, uh, that in the back of your mind. A little and, voice. And, <laughs> a little voice in the back of your mind. It's like my nana, you know, you phone your nana, used to phone my nana every time. She goes, oh, are you coming home yet? Do you really need to be in that country? You know, it's it, they just never seen out, out, out outside yeah. the, their their little village. You know, yeah. that was the scary thing. And it, look, the other thing as well, when you were growing up, my father was a second generation Italian mm. who came into a Protestant town on a Saturday night. It's like Baghdad. You know what I mean? It's 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 one of the uh, roughest towns in Scotland. And where uh, was this? This is Preston Pans. It's very famous for the Battle of Preston Pans. And I think it's got one. I think <laughs> you got, got a wry little smile when you yeah, said that. The Battle, yeah, of, the Battle Preston of Preston Pans. Well, we say, we say you <laughs> bloody English back down. Oh, uh, one of the rare yeah, victories. One of the rare victories. So we've got, we've got to hold that yeah, close to our hearts. But he was coming into a, a town where, where basically no one understood an Italian, uh, especially with an Italian with a, a dark skin. And he had to really fight because my mum was a Protestant as well. And even my, my granny turned around and says, oh, you're not going to get black babies w- w- yeah. with this, you know? And it was a hard time. And then I was brought up and... What, yeah. what just stop, slow you down yeah. there a little bit. Which part of Italy is your dad from? Was it southern Italy? He was or? in Casino and in, in north. In right, the north, okay. yeah. So yeah. what what sent him to Scotland? Why would well, he it was his, 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 his dad had to come over in the factories, you know? He, he used to wear... The, the orange suits like Guatemala Bay, you know, in that time to work in the factories. So that brought them over to Edinburgh and uh, people used to say, oh, where do you come from? They go, oh, you know, casino. They go, oh, that must be a bad place that you're here. But they had no choice in the time of the war, you know. And then there was a beautiful shop, a beautiful uh, uh, food shop called Verola and Crawler. And it was all behind the uh, boarded up uh, windows. And people used to say, what's in there? They go, oh, that's Italian crap. You don't want to be in there, you know what I mean? They, they do this uh, crusty bread, it's dry and it's rubbish. Then they've got this dried meat hanging up that you don't want to eat, you know, because it smells, you know. But now there's so many of these people want to get into this shop. It's packed every day and it's one of the famous shops. Preston in... Pans has gone cosmopolitan yeah. now, right? <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's crazy. So he, he, he came into that, that, that village and, and uh, it was a hard time, you know. And, and I, I, I had a lot of that as well. I had to battle my way through school because uh, my name was Capaldi uh, and and I was different you know I had a little I had, I had darker skin and my dad was was a Catholic man and a Protestant girl who is he to come into a city and I, th- and I think up. people here wouldn't understand that kind of no. entrenched what would you call it, it, it it's hatred just, it's, hat- it, it, I was it's gonna, hatred. a strong word it's yeah, hatred it's, it's it? hatred it's, it's a really bad uh, situation to, to uh, 
uh, grow up in. And 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 to be honest with you, it, it, it sort of sealed my outlook on life mm. as as I went on because it was. Uh, if anybody says anything to me, it was smack them first and then ask questions. Mm. And and that took a long mm. time for me when I came to Australia to try and get that mentality. Did you did you understand it when you were younger? Was it was it just a me against the rest of the world kind of mentality? It was basically that <clears> that was the mentality, me against everybody else, you <clears> know. You'd you'd be in fights every day. So that that gave me a, a sense that I need to get out of this village. Yeah. But then my mum and dad opened up this uh, fish and chip shop, as we say, with the business. And basically that gave them a ticket to be in that village. Everybody gathered there. Everybody loved them. Became a local. Uh, and he, and then he became a local. It was accepted when he opened this fish and chip shop. So when we say that food and all this brings people together, it's that sort of environment that they bring, bring them together. My dad was accepted into the village. By that time, I was a maniac. I needed to find uh, a job that I needed to do. I was playing soccer, left, right and centre. I was, I don't want to go into it, but I was sort of signed on an S form with some team. That fell through because I had a bad injury and then I had to find a job quick and someone offered me a job in this little uh, country inn. And my first day in the, the country inn was a chef and you see these guys all in the kitchen and they're all big pots of boiling water on there and I'm thinking, oh, this this looks all right. But I said, when does the food come out, you know? But they all had a pair of scissors in the pocket, in the back pocket. And I'm thinking, well, why have they all got a pair of scissors and not nice? But the, And then the one guy's just bashing on with this, chopping all this uh, parsley. I'm thinking, Jesus, when does the food come out, you know? And then all of a sudden, there was a, probably an hour, two hours later, this, all these boxes come out from the freezer. And then, wham, oh no, this boiled duck of orange and, and bags. Now I know what the scissors are for. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know what the scissors were for, which you open all these bags, you know, yeah. goes, oh, is this chefing? I goes, this is, this is a good life, you know? This is easy. So, so they were just a, buying things in and reheating it. Yeah, so all of a sudden, someone else bought this place and then I was thrown into the, the deep end because I was the only one left. And I'm thinking... Did you have your own scissors in your pocket by that point? Or uh, was it? Oh, I had my scissors. They, they, they present them with you. Make sure you buy a pair of scissors. And I thought, all right, I'll, I'll do that. So anyway, we we that day, I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to make duckle orange myself. And then we, they were buying in scones and then I would... I wouldn't measure any of the scones out because I wanted them to be that rough, mm. you know? So it took me about five attempts to, to get this recipe right. But I still never knew the measurements just by feel. And that's how I started my my uh, my chef's career in this little town, where uh, the chefs carried scissors, uh, chopped parsley was to go over the you know that was the garnish of the century, and and that was it. That was yeah. the start. Do you do you still like duck orange, or have you got? Do I you love have it. It's my best dish. It? No, uh, it's my best dish. I mean, every Christmas I'd rather have duck than turkey, so beautiful. I always cook a nice duck orange. I love it. Yeah, beautiful. Know? When did things get serious? Was there a point where? The, the penny dropped or was it a, just a gradual kind of move away and thinking of London as the place that it had to be? I don't think I ever got serious to, to come to, to Melbourne, to really? be honest with you. Yeah, because you worked in some amazing places, didn't you? Yeah, look, I think I think it was a meaningless to an end to get, to get out of where I was because mm. it was, I was just very, you know, you're just very unhappy. And I think my way of getting out of this was to go into work in hotels uh, and, and to to get out of that life to see if there was something else. So we, I had a chef called Alan Hill, who I thank him. He's another mm. angel, as I say. Uh, I've heard you mention yeah. him many times. And in the UK, famous chef. Yeah, yeah. One of Britain's yeah. top chefs, right? So we went, I got there in the Caledonian Hotel, mm. and that was like dog eat dog. The British Transport Hotel were known to be uh, hard places, like crazy places, where the SAS would actually chap on the back door and say, any of you guys want to join the army? 
you know, because it was that and rigged into what was going on. You know, the chefs were there, the the sous chefs so were disciplined, smack and regimented, you, and... disciplined. You had to have a, you know, your jacket ironed. You were, mm. you know, you had to be immaculate and you had to work immaculate and you had there was no complaining. Was the food good? The food was yeah, the food was very good for that that time, you know. And but when when I started, they they put me onto the section. You go, by the way, you're on the uh, the vegetable section. Uh, this is the menu. This is all the ingredients here, and you got three hundred covers to do. Well, that night I went down like a ton of bricks, you know, and and then the the, the head chef just gave me it all night, saying, "Are you good enough?" Because at that time I won the young chef of the year, which was really not a great thing for me at, at the beginning. It's great now when you look back, but it wasn't a good thing because everywhere I went to, they judged you on that. So that's when I started picking up my game because I had to be on my game, right? You know what I mean? I had to be, I had to be. Better than everybody else. But how did you find yourself entering Young Chef of the Year, for example? What led to that? Because there's obviously the the motivations there. Obviously, you want to better yourself and move on and climb the ladder. Was that yeah. what it was all about? Yeah, that's what it was. It was it was just the I think. Who I, said Ray? Why don't you enter? Who was that? Well, I done it off my off my, my own back to say you know what let's let's just go in for this competition. I want to be a bit different than everybody else. Mm. Uh, I want to try and make my mum and dad proud. And that was my main goal all, all my life, to make my mum and dad proud. And to try and put them into a situation to make their life a bit better as well. Mm. You know, I, I, always trying to look after people around me uh, more than what I probably myself. So I worked at the Caledonian Hotel uh, and Alan Hill says, Raymond, you need to go to London. So he called in my mum and dad and he had a big conversation. He says, look, if Raymond doesn't go to London now, he's just got to go by the wayside, you know, because you can just see that he's getting into mm. the wrong uh, crowd. How old were you at this point? Uh, 19, 19. Yeah. And uh, he said, you need to go down there. And that was the time then I went to London. And then all of a sudden, I uh, thrown into this uh, the Dorchester Hotel with the famous Anton Mosman at that time. It was at his height of mm. his uh, career. And basically, he had all these books out. And it was a two-star Michelin. Uh, I got put into the grill room at that time, which was very uh, full-on. And again, it was dog-eat-dog. So everywhere I went, I've had to sort of have this mentality where I've got to fight. An amazing place to work at, though. Like oh, when yeah. you when you look back on it, what what do you remember? I mean, because at the time, to put it in perspective for people that are listening, because they might not know, Anton Mosman would have been, you know, he would have been at the top of the tree, I should think, at the yeah. time. I yeah, mean, one of the most successful chefs. And even when you know, I remember meeting you. You talked a lot about. You know, he was one of the first chefs to have a sponsored dining room. Mm. Do you remember he had yeah. like the Alfa Romeo room for yeah. just clambering? Basically, well, he, to be associated with well, he At that time, you know, Sultan of Brunei owns it. He had his own personal jet. If they'd done any competitions like in mm. Nuremberg or Berlin and all that for mm. the, these big competitions, he'd have his own jet. He'd get flown there. You've seen all these famous chefs coming through, Twagua, yeah. uh, Bacus, all these people in, he, in this dining room that, that had everybody there. So you see all these people and you see this thing where is this what you get at the end of your yeah. training, you know? and and Because it would have been kind of unimaginable at that time. Yeah, because his, his marketing <clears throat> at that time, they say that his marketing was 40,000 a month. They, pounds a pounds, month. That's what they spent on his marketing, you know, wow. for this guy. No wonder so, everybody knew who he was. Yeah, and he's got his, <laughs> you know, he's got he's still got his own private club there. He's still he's in, yeah. in, in Belgravia and, and still doing well. But it was, it was, that's what sort of then changed me to say, you know what? This can be a lot more than what it was, yeah. but it was again. You, you you know you couldn't afford anything to eat. You'd go home, or you you come in on your days off to eat in the canteen because you couldn't. You didn't get enough yeah. wages. You were on eight pound a week, yeah. And you, your your accommodation was fifty two pound, yeah. 
And then they put me up to the uh, the terrace at that time, which was two star Michelin. The... I remember the Cuisine Naturelle was yeah. his book, right? I still remember. This is a long time ago, folks. It would have been I'm just trying to think eighty eight or something like that. And I remember doing my college project, and I remember that there was a quail soup. I can't I can't remember the detail, but a beautiful little consomme with a quail breast and something else in it. And I remember flicking through those pages and not imagining that food. I'd never seen food like that before, before going to work yeah, in London, obviously. Yeah. Well, it's all sort of coming back now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, that absolutely. Pure, that pure so he was groundbreaking. Yeah, it was groundbreaking. groundbreaking and some of his stuff's still groundbreaking, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's and that's what you see. You see all this stuff coming back again because mm. it's, one, it, it's uh, there's a lot of work behind the scenes, but there's not a lot, a lot of work to present it, you know mm. what I mean? Because it's all in that dish, you know? It's yeah. the skill, it's the technique, and it's that driven, you know? I love making this series, and I hope that you love listening too. If you do, subscribe and send us a message, because believe it or not, we actually read those messages. What we want to know is what you think about the show, more importantly about the conversations that we have with our guests. We love hearing from you. That's what I'm trying to say. And if you're feeling like it, maybe even recommend the show to a friend. You never know, they might find it as delicious as you do. So you, you worked in London, and then yeah. I think, because I'm, I'm trying to recollect actually from, yeah. you know, our many years of conversations, but you worked in uh, Hong Kong, you worked in Moscow yeah. as well. Yeah. So you worked for the British Embassy in Moscow. I worked for the British Embassy, and that, that was an experience. Tell you, where'd you get that job from? That's a, did oh, you circle that one in the Sunday Times? Yeah, or where, I think, look, I, 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 I worked at Glen Eagles before that, and uh, Glen Eagles was... Uh, Which is know, back in Scotland. Yeah, back course, in Scotland. Yeah. Again, Alan Hill. Alan yeah. Hill came. So Alan Hill was at the Savoy that time. Uh, Dorchester was closing for a refurbishment mm. and uh, Alan Hill says oh, I want you to come here he's at La Manga in Spain and so I went down to uh, the Savoy and I says alright I'm coming there I go back up to Scotland and he says oh change the plans I goes oh what's going on he goes we're going to Glen Eagles so I says alright so all the boys that were together which again you know it's that I always say and it is important people this old stigma saying you're only as good as your team, and I think that's mm. very. It is important, you know. You need to have people around you because mm. you Part have machine. You have faults, and all the people blend mm. in. And when you've got that team, there's only three times that I've experienced it: one at Phoenix, uh, one at Sofitel, and one at Glen Eagles. Mm. That I felt that bond, mm. you know. And and basically, so I, I, he says we're going to Glen Eagles. He goes, all right, we'll go to Glen. So all the guys that knew each other all went back there, and that was another kettle of fish, you know. It was Glen Eagles because you got this big, massive thing that looks like a ship in the hills. Yeah, it's a beautiful. And we took it over, and everybody's going, "Oh, here's the new boys." Because at that time, 160 chefs there. Mm. So the first weekend, another another, uh, fantastic weekend, and everybody's getting ready, and we'll have the big chefs meeting. So in these times, you know, the chefs got this massive big dining rooms where all the head chefs, sous chefs, we all sit, we all have lunch, the waiters serve you, and all that. Grandeur, and it's the exact same at Dorchester. And this is what get, you know made you work harder because I want to be here, you know, mm. I want to feel that, you know. Yeah, so anyway, uh, Alan Hill says to us, He goes, You know what? We've got 3,000 all these oil men come for the weekend to have this big tournament, they book out the whole hotel. We've got 3,000 of these people turning up. We go, All right, he goes, But what we're going to do is we're going to do a steak menu and a new menu, and we'll have sirloin steak at. 300 grams, 250. I said, oh, it's getting a bit tight, chef, you know. He goes, Raymond, have you lost it since uh, <laughs> you never worked with me before? I said, no, I'm not lost it, chef, but I'm telling you, we're just new to this, chef. We're just coming into this two-week platform. I think we should get a little bit more confidence. Mm. So he says, 
nah, nah, man. Just you, you know, put your trust in it. Mm. All of a sudden, we're in, a, in amongst this and all these orders start coming on. So we started at nine o'clock that night and we finished at half past three in the morning because it was just a disaster. And then amongst it, I says to the chef, I says, chef, this, <laughs> this, this ain't working. He goes, come on. He says, you need to make it work. And that night, probably about 60 chefs left that night, AWOL in the morning. Nobody turned up. So we had to rebuild all that team again. And that's, you know, that was because of this, this thing, we can do anything, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know. In hindsight, probably should have had less selection. Yeah. Yeah. The oilmen would have never known. No, they would have yeah. never known. <laughs> but it was, it was a big, big disaster. And that, and that was, that was a welcome to Glen Eagles, you know? Yeah. What I mean? And it was, it was very, very hard at that time. But again, it, it, it was, it was, all these things learned you how to make it better the next time and make mm. sure that everything was done, you know. These are times that kitchens were the god. You know, you see the general manager walking through the kitchen and the head chef comes firing at you and says, why did you let him in the kitchen? You go, well, he's the general manager. He goes, no, nah, no, nah, next time he comes through, you pour hot oil onto him. He'll never walk through this kitchen again. You know, and it was a different environment and that's mm. why I'm trying to say when, when you come to Australia, it was a different scene. Mm. It was never that respect. The food and beverage manager was never told the chef what to do. But when you come to Australia, the food and beverage manager was on top of the on top of the chef. It was a different yeah. different ball game. Yeah. But in, in, to relate it to my own experience, I remember the first year at the Connell, which is when I left college, mm -hmm. that was just, you know, the kind of horror stories that yeah, you're talking yeah, about. I mean, we yeah. could all just, you know, people from that era, I think, and, you know, there are stories we'd rather forget, to be honest. The stress that, that it's in this this the situation of that job yeah. or your job and you're trying to do the best you can and you don't want you don't want uh, people saying oh the food came out too late it wasn't yeah. and this is the pressure you got on you you know it's it's it's, it's a it's a hard job and that's where we're at at the minute the, but I, I know in podcasts we've done here and the people that we've talked to <clears throat> odd things have cropped up where I've gone my goodness it just seems like the you know blindingly obvious I mean if you imagine what you learn when you're a young chef even at college or at your first job no one really ever taught you how to deal with that kind of stress, like properly, like yeah. a strategy to deal with the stress or even, um, you know, handling common things that now we talk about in the business, like depression or, you know, alcoholism or drug dependency, things that for some reason, you know, percolate in that, in that stress that is the kitchen. Yeah. And thank goodness it's changed. Like really. Oh, it, had, had, had to it had to change. Yeah, it has to change and it still has to change. Guy, more. But to change more. You yeah. Think? Yeah. It has yeah. to change more because the situation now is that it's not just, it's not just us as restaurateurs that need to take, take responsibility, but we got to learn the customer, the importance of why you're actually paying for this, mm. you know, and you can see it now because you can go to a place and get for $40, you get a little piece of fish on the, on the plate now. And there's nothing else. It's actually changing a little bit, but people are still saying, "Oh, that's not that's not worth it." Or this, yeah. it has to change for. So to put it in know, perspective, prices go up. Maybe prices go up. Prices go up. It it affords the business uh, every opportunity to pay their staff properly, yeah. to give the kind of conditions that they want to give to their staff, yeah. and for those people to work less hours. And with all of those things, obviously, it becomes a better place to work in. Yeah, I think people are still they're still resisting. Although I think probably lockdown is you know, I suppose solidified the idea that we have to pay more for food, certainly in Australia. Yeah, but there's, there's still that thing you can see. I was reading something about uh, in, in the UK at the minute, all of these no-shows again. You know, this credit card thing has been for a booking. Now, you know, before you even call a plumber, he's telling you it's $180 got a, got a for, 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 for an hour and then plus whatever on top of that. So why can nobody 
except uh, for food. And I, and I think there's only uh, 5% that understands the food game. Unless you can wait, wear a Millowa chicken round your neck or you can have it as a, as a handbag to show people, look what I buy. Oh, so exclusively. It becomes so the Millowa chicken thing, is something to... Uh, then people to understand aspire to aspire towards, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it becomes like a Gucci handbag or something. We're, we're, we're going to have that, that situation. But it's just, you know, people say, what would you do? But it's very hard to get yeah. people to understand because you've got all these people that are driving about in BMWs, but they, they're actually behind your back, they're, they're buying a McDonald's burger on the way through, you know what I mean? And then you've got all these people saying, oh, I don't eat gluten-free and I don't eat vegan, but they're paying for all this vegan stuff that's absolutely no good for the body. Same with the gluten-free stuff. is no good for the body, but they'll not eat a good piece of chicken at a good price. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like that Gucci handbag, though. It's yeah. good, good marketing, right? Yeah, it's good marketing, so, and that's and that's. I've all. never heard that analogy. I love the idea of a Millowa chicken as a as a handbag. Or you a... try it. I've tried it. <laughs> Everybody's going, look at him. It's stinky. Yeah, <laughs> but that's even better because it's aged. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose, yeah. I mean, if you if you if you've got something on your menu that's worth chatting about, and people have to pay for. I mean, it, you know, for example, a Somerlad chicken, which is a breed of chicken. I mean, it's bigger. It's been yeah. grown responsibly. It's free roaming. Um, it's older than you know what yep. you'd buy a standard old chicken in the supermarket, so it's had a good life. It's an expensive chuck. It's like forty five, fifty dollars a yeah. chicken, yeah. and people go, "My goodness, that's ridiculous! I'd never pay fifty dollars for chicken." And you go, "Really?" And that's the you'll problem. pay a thousand dollars for a phone. Yeah, exactly, and that's the problem. And it's very important to get back to that stage where it's it's a bit fueling yourself. Mm. It's fueling your body. You know, I don't want to get into all this sustainability bull rap and all that stuff because mm. for me, a chef has always been about sustainability. Yeah. I hear all these little chefs running about now call about sustainability. But if you're a real chef and you're really trained, sustainability is number one in your thing because that's how, and that's what will happen in this, this problems with chefs now. The ones that will survive is the ones that's got that deep-rooted uh, traditional training where they can make something out of nothing. You know, when you when we bought the fridge, same at Phoenix, you know, we had that beautiful uh, flathead dish on. Yeah. We would keep the tail for a la carte the in-between pieces were for the cafe, which was the fish and chips. Mm. The wings, which is all the craze now, the wings, you know, yeah. were deep fried for a bar wings. snack. Yeah. The bones were for the stock. Mm. That's a chef. I don't want to hear anything about your sustainability or any of your crap, yeah. you know, and you've yeah. got it's good cooking. F- yeah, it was good cooking. Yeah, good That's cooking. a chef. Yeah. We make anything out of anything. It's like your grandmother, you know, keep, yeah. keeping the chicken fat. Yeah, so and... don't give me the sustainability road. I, I'm not interested. And it's just half of them wouldn't understand if they yeah. went, if they went, Underneath, if you really ask them questions about sustainability, yeah. they wouldn't I have understand. to. I have to say though, even though you say that, I mean, I think back to the menus. I can pull out an old menu from uh, Sofitel days at the restaurant, which was the Three Hat Restaurant, and you know, you would have picked, you know, quails and chicken and pheasant, and you know, you name it from various suppliers, and and given them their place. There, do, do you remember? Yeah, I yeah, remember yeah, yeah. John Lethlian, who was a, a he is a food critic. Um, kind of criticising you back in the day. I don't know if you remember this for naming everything. You know, like yeah. um, it could have been onions from a particular place in Queensland or quail from a particular place in, you know, in Victoria. And going, you know, why does it always have to have these stupid names? And I and you think about it now and go, well, really, that's what that sustainability issue is now. And that was twenty five years ago. It's giving giving a sense of place to that product and supporting that particular farmer and celebrating that badge. You know, that Millowa chicken as a handbag putting it on your menu. You know, it's real estate, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is real estate. Do you, do, you, do you remember yeah, yeah, that? I, I, I still remember, still remember I, yeah, it and just go, wow. I do remember, but, you know, that's... So you've been singing from the same yeah, song sheet yeah, for a long yeah, time. For a long, for a long time. <laughs> and the situation is that the, uh, 
all this new stuff's coming up and you just go, well, I did that 10 years ago. Uh, well, yeah. not 10 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. Yeah. We did that 25 years ago and we did these kind of dishes 25 years ago. That That's where we were. And you you can see now that, uh, you know, and, and John Lethlin was, you know, was one of these people that did doubt us. But in the end, we turned them around because we yeah. turned from just doing what we wanted to do. Well, he loves good food. I mean, and he end, loves good food, and, and, right? and, and, and he, he understood where we were going and what we were doing, and and in the end, that he became a, a good supporter. Yeah. But in saying that, we had to go. We, we had to go through a lot of. Uh, we've done some Frankenstein dishes, but I mean, if you want to, if you want to involve uh, on stuff, you 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 need you need to you need to trial and error, and and sometimes it wasn't wasn't right, you know, some yeah. of the dishes, but. You have to try to get somewhere. Yeah. What do you most? So, if you look between, you know, your happiest time as a chef, you know, if it was at Hair of Grace, what are the? And you still post them actually on Instagram. What are the dishes that you are most pleased about creating that you feel were different? I think it's uh, the simple dishes. Eh? I, I uh, you know, I used to always admire skills on on the bistro because you like that good hearty bistro mm. food, and that's what I enjoy now because. I can't go out and eat lukewarm food now because all the food outs in the restaurants are all lukewarm. Mm. So I don't go out for degustations. I don't enjoy them. Uh, and that was my thing. Oh, degustation, that's what mm. we do. But if I was a chef now, I'm what I sort of, hopefully I'm more clever now. I do three dishes, that's it, and make them blinders. That was mm. it. That's all you get in my place. You come for three dishes. I look at sandwiches now. I look at fish and chips. You know, simple thing like fish and chips. You've got to cook that fish quick you got to get that fish on the plate and it's not to stay on that, that hot plate for one minute. As soon as you bring that bell, they pick it up and take it straight to the, mm. the table. That's fish yeah. and chips. Well, prime. three, four minutes later, it's yeah. not the fish and chips you sent out, is it? Yeah, exactly. So but that, come on, they're not just that. You put up some beautiful dishes. I mean, what uh, the pork and chicory, for example. Yeah. That's a beautiful dish. You must, I mean, yeah, you I posted mean, that one again recently and I go, gee, that's gorgeous. I mean, look at the glaze on it and the yeah. and just little touches that make it look fresh and beautiful. Well, that's, I mean, that's taking, that's taking the, you know, uh, the cuts that everybody else doesn't want. They don't mm. want the, they're not sexy cuts. And, and then the chicory was with the coffee sauce. So, you know, in the olden days, as we all know, that Nescafe was made with some chicory inside. It was, mm. it was more chicory than coffee. And, mm. and that was the old days, you know, it used to say coffee and chicory. Yeah. So that was, that, that match up. And they're the dishes I like. I like depth, you know. So even though you might, you know, think, you know, I'm going to put something different on it or do something different. At its heart, there's always something that is kind of comforting and yeah. and rock solid. Yeah, and rock solid. And, mm. and taking it back to where is, you know, if you do a sausage roll, let's do it a bit different. Or mm. I'm still in that, that, that mode of where, where I want to be different. Sometimes it's to my decrement. Again, you, you can, the dish that's in your mind doesn't go quite on the plate, but then you go away and try and do it a little bit more what you want to do. Mm. But it's, the idea is always there and you always it's always trying to get the best out of that ingredient. Yeah. You know, one of the dishes that I still love and I, I wish, actually, we should just make it one day just for the hell of it, is uh, the coconut noodles. You used to do the luxa noodles. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know where it came from. I think I must have made luxa for something and you went, oh, I like the paste. And then you took that and then in the end it came, it turned up on the restaurant menu with uh, a guitari, which is yeah. what the Italians used to make the little, you know, thin... Guitari. Uh, Pasta, yeah, you know, which is like wafer thin, yeah. uh, like angel's hair, isn't yeah. it? And um, you put that kind of agar agar noodle through the Qatari and then put it on the plate with all the flavours of laksa. Beautiful, yeah. like really beautiful. It's a beautiful dish. And then one night we get bombarded with someone from Hong Kong, you know. 
But it was what didn't like the dish because it didn't what, like was the dish. Oh, you know, but, but these are the these are the thing. But you know, look, <laughs> leave my restaurant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and 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 sometimes we did do that, didn't we? I mean, uh, you remember that night with the uh, uh, with the guy that didn't like the steak? He was he was had an argument with his wife. Oh God, I blanked that one. And, sure. <laughs> Tell me, refresh uh, me. Basically, uh, <laughs> he, he comes, he phones up, and I'm on the phone. He, he goes, "Oh, have you got steak there?" I goes, "You know what, sir? It's your night. We've got three steaks on his specials." So when he comes, he uh, comes in with his wife. And uh, he basically uh, orders a steak and the waiter brings it back to the kitchen and goes, oh, he doesn't like his steak. I goes, what's wrong with it? He goes, he just doesn't like it. I says, that's not an answer for me. I was one of my uh, stainless steel uh, temperament days, you know what I mean? When I was on when I was on another planet somewhere. Uh, first of all, I went out there and I said, oh, sir, what's, what's your problem with the steak? He goes, it's not good. I goes, what's not good? It's too chewy. I says, no, it's a scotch fillet, sir. It's not, it's not a fillet. Yeah, it's, it's not, not like... Fillet, what, Everybody's eating here. Yeah, a little fat, yeah, a little, little fat, yeah, little it's chewy, which is nice. To be honest, not chewy, yeah, but you know, you've picked the best steak of the night. Yeah, absolutely. He goes, well, I don't agree with you. I says, is that right? He says, yeah, I don't know where you got this. I says, I don't know where I got. It. I says, I'll tell you, sir. So basically, I I grabbed the whole big uh, sirloin that's in the fridge. It's all been hanging for uh, probably about a month. This big massive piece of sirloin smacked it right on the table. Goes there, you are. So it's not, it's not twelve any, kilos of beautifully yeah, aged. beautifully aged. You know, sirloin with rib yeah. attached. I says, well, it's come off of that. I says, yeah. it, it must taste good. He goes, no, I'm not happy. I says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not happy either. I says, because what you've got to do, you're going, I says, all your family here, they seem happy people. I says, but you seem very uh, unhappy. So <laughs> you can pay the bill and you can go. I think I blanked. I think I blanked those stories. Uh, 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 it's uh, so long know, ago. Just, they're, just, they're just funny. You need know? to write them down and put them in a book. Yeah, we should. I've got, Not I've a bad idea. Of, I've got loads I always of wanted to do. I I always loved the idea. I think Marco Pierre White in his book had what was called the whoosh. Did oh, you ever yeah, read yeah, that yeah, one? The whoosh, yeah. And the whoosh was for anybody <laughs> that never heard about it is if they had somebody that complained or was rude to a waiter or didn't like the food, that Maitre D, who was the head on the floor, would signal to the other waiters that they were going to whoosh that table, and they would all sim- simultaneously descend on the table and remove everything off it, including the tablecloth, which was taken off in a big whoosh at the end and announced that their evening was over. <laughs> and apparently it would happen so quickly that all the guests were so stunned, they either would burst into kind of nervous laughter, maybe thinking that it was just a joke and things would return, but of course they wouldn't. <laughs> and, and he said they'd always just get up and very sheepishly leave the restaurant. And apparently people used to go to that place, you know, went to Harvey's, yeah. just to see if somebody would get the whoosh. <laughs> and I must admit, over the years, I've had a couple of tables I've gone, Actually, we never had tablecloths. So it would have been hard. Always wanted to do the whoosh, but never did it. Brilliant it's, it's a great thing, the whoosh. I mean, even even <laughs> here in Greece, we did, we did that. I, I, I should write stories because I've got that many of them, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. Right. I wanted to ask you, I suppose, to explain your career now, your business career, you took very deliberately in a different direction. So you started Wonder Pies, mm. you started Baitico, which has been massively successful. So yeah. you've been rolling out. People probably have gone to one of your pop-ups and not even realised. I think even one of our little local bakeries, which is down in Flinders, has got your pies too. So they're kind of infiltrating everywhere. That was very deliberate. Why the change? Why did you decide this is the direction I want to go? Uh, look, it, it was, it, ha- having worked so long in, in the top end of, of yeah. the business. I, I, I just couldn't do weekends anymore. And that was and that was the thing about Hearing Grace. When we started Hearing Grace, we, uh, we, we I had this conscious thing that I didn't want to work weekends. So we'd do Monday to Friday, then we'd do functions at the weekend, but I wouldn't do them. And that was a conscious decision for me. I missed out a lot in life. Mm. Uh, I missed out a lot of birthday parties and all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to enjoy my life a little bit more and I wanted to 
have that weekend to basically control my attitude to where I wanted to be in life. And then the, the, the decision was to, the uh, growers came along and told me that they needed it for a, another office block that was going up. Yeah. I says, all right, we'll take it. We, we got paid out. Very good, because it was a sensational business. I wish I still had it now, but anyway, things happen. It may pop up again in some form in yeah, the future. Yeah, and then sure. I was a bit lost, to be honest with you. I think I, I worked for about a year, and I probably was the happiest in my life. I was flying everywhere and just enjoying... Uh, I know fruit, you did some consultancy. Yeah, all the sorts fruits, of, the the fruits, time, yeah. of the fruits of the what, what we made out of that business, and, and I was in a good place. And then I thought, you know what, I can't go back into this business because there's just not people coming through that's got my same... Yeah, it takes uh, a lot. Say, say, it, t- it takes a lot, and it burns mm. you. And and we had a couple of good girls in there from from here and Grace from Phoenix as well, and they and they were stars, you know. And and you look, you you can't have these people forever. So I decided, I say, what wonder what would come along. So I met this guy who was doing pies at the time, and he had been in four different pie companies, and he, he was he was a snake. This guy, uh, we took him on, and then I discovered why he was in four different uh, pie companies. But I didn't get into the pie companies because I wanted to do pies. I got into the pie company because I could see the shortage of chefs coming. I could see problems coming. And when I was at Hearing Grace, I, in June, I would learn that we'd do all the Christmas menu in June. We'd buy everything in. So we'd go out to everybody and buy everything in to our recipe. And we made 52% profit in Christmas because we're doing massive functions. Mm. And I thought, you know what, this is this is a way... That it's going to be because people are not coming through the door. Uh, staff, there's a shortage, and it's going to really. And it's nothing to do with COVID. This 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 shortage of staff. People just don't want it. It's got to change. So I thought this is what I'm going to do now. Two years ago, I couldn't sell all this press port belly terrines, all the stuff that chefs wanted because we say, oh, we can do that. We can do it better. You go, oh, okay, and it's too expensive. But they, some chefs do not know what cost is, so they don't take off the labour wastage mm. and all that. So it was hard, but now all this stuff's yeah. come. This so is there's a, a shortage of staff, massive. Yeah, yeah massive Massively, shortage of staff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they all want this stuff. Yeah. All these big groups now want it because they can't get staff. Yeah. So that's what I've seen to so get. So the outsourcing, yeah, the outsourcing. setup in the factory yeah, and everything yeah. works perfectly. It works perfectly now. Yeah. So we're not just pies now. It's not just Wonder Pies. Yeah. It's, it's Nana Fraser's Bakery Goods. It's Nana Fraser's Bakery. It's all the Raymond Capaldi signature series that's mm. actually making all the money because there's no money in pies. Yeah. But all of a sudden, uh, in the last year, there's been so many people wanting to do pies because yeah. they must well, think Well, the pies are good. I think and, you, I, and you still get that little bit of creativity in them too. Yeah, there's some, do, there's some wacky flavours in there. There's there some like. wacky flavours. But the other thing as well is I think everybody, I'm making it look too good that everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. Right. So it's not as easy as we think. So moving forward, somebody like yourself that's, you know, I mean, we said right at the head of the podcast that you've got, how many cookbooks? 8,000 cookbooks, yeah. you know, thereabouts. I mm-hmm. hope they're insured. Let yeah. me tell you that. <laughs> Where do you think your creativity is going to find its, you know, its path going forward? How do you think you're going to stay connected as a chef always? Because undeniably you're a chef always, right? Yeah, I've, I've th- I think I've got this uh, next chapter sort of organised. I really maybe not do it for me. I'd probably do it for Jodie, Jodie Crow, my partner again. Mm. Uh, she deserves to have something really special. And I think it will be for her. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind being in the background. As I was saying to you, I, th- I think I just discovered myself as an introvert. And that's and that's another thing in, in my life, you know, that, that I loved it sometimes. In other days, I just cannot be bothered with it. Mm. I can't, you know, and that's why I like the company of two, two or three people. Mm. And that's it. I'm not one for going out at night. So I I, I reckon that I put Jory can make that 
I'm, I don't want to say what it is because I don't want everybody jumping on that yeah, bandwagon again. That's and, fine. Uh, happy to agree. We'll wait yeah. excited. Yeah, that's and, right. And and but it'll still be it'll still be in cooking. But yeah. it'll be it'll be an organi- organized where I'm I'm out of it. I've I've uh, I love it, but I'm 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 going to build a little test kitchen in my house, mm. which is partly there already, and and I'll just put her away in there and do mm. my thing. And nothing that's, wrong that's with where that. I'll be happy. Mm. And because I'm at an age where I've is probably Jory mentioned to someone today I've I've done uh, five work lives as we all know not not, not just me chefs yeah. you know and the, yeah. the chefs are going back we've done we're five we've done we don't need mm. to prove anything to anybody now yeah it's very important to keep your mind on a family uh, I think I might take you know if everything works out I'll take a, a year off with the family yeah. in Scotland. Go yeah. back to that roots. Well, I, I, you know what I always remember? I mean, my granddad was a chef and I re- he lived, you know, until his mid-70s. I'm, you know, unfortunately he got cancer. But I always remember him as being just a very happy, engaged, retired chef, which yeah. meant he did stuff just because he wanted to. You know, he had a beautiful garden. He'd engage in the local community centre, which gave him an enormous amount of pleasure. And I always remember that. I can't try and keep it, you know, in the front of my mind. Because I know, also know, and you would know, Peter Kronberg, who was yeah. a chef I worked for at the Intercon, he retired at 65 and he died at 67. Yeah. And that was a man, I tell you, that, you know, he was inspirational at the time. You know, he was a fit chef, played squash. I always remember we used to wait for his daily specials. He'd type them up at about nine o'clock and we're like, hurry up, chef. Seriously, if you don't give us, you know, to them now, we'll never get them ready. But, you know, there was a guy that we all aspired to be like and, I, and he never got to enjoy his retirement. Yeah, he, he worked so the- damn Hard, and you still know? one of the meals I remember is Peter Kronberg in, yeah. the, in the the hotel there in Park Lane. You yeah, know? It was, beautiful it was, food. It was beautiful food, and and I could still it, it was like a snapper dish with a tomato. Very simple, but the flavour is just stunning. Yeah. But that's that's it. I think we I just got to get a little bit of me time, and this you know this business gives me that little bit of me time, and that's what the whole idea was to come into this business yeah. for me time. <clears throat> and hopefully, hopefully, do a few. Pop-ups. We went to a pop-up dinner of yours, which was out at yeah, uh, Little but you know Black what? Big, for example. That was hard work. Don't smile. I know work. that. Yeah, of course yeah. it's hard work. Yeah. But I'll tell you what was delicious. And you you could see that you had a lot of fans there that were kind of, you know, wanted to get a little bit of Raymond's, you know, yeah. food from, you know, from way back, you know, and also what's in your head right now because you've got something to keep giving. Yeah, and, and I just want to keep on going because I still, I think, if, and myself, I've got a lot to do. But as you say, with these pop-ups, I'll make sure that everything's tested and I'll be much happier when I yeah. do them. So I enjoy them rather than it becomes a... It was hard work. You know, hard work. You need good people around you. But yeah. you've got to delegate. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. It's a hard one to do, isn't it? Uh, Raymond Cabaldi, we could talk for hours, but I really appreciate you coming to the studio. And I think you should write that book. That'd be a very funny... You know, forget Kitchen Confidential. Yeah. That'd be a good book. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. So now for my tips and tricks. And this one's about sausage rolls. And as we were talking about Wonder Pies, and I love making sausage rolls. I'll buy a butter puff because it's a lot of work, but make the filling. I use fresh pork mince, a little bit of fat, just ask your butcher. And then I make what's called a soffritto, which in Italian cooking is things like carrot, onion, garlic, a little bit of celery, and I add bacon to it. All finely diced, cooked until it's almost jammy. Take a couple of teaspoons of fennel seeds, toast them in a pan, grind them, Add them to that sofrito and then cool it down. Mix it with your pork mince. And the secret here with the pork mince is to work it. You can use your hands until it becomes a little sticky. If you add salt, it'll develop the protein and get that stickiness. Now your mince is done. And all you've got to do is fill your pastry, roll it up, egg wash them, bake them at 200 degrees until they're golden brown. And I tell you, you'll never look back. And tomato sauce, 
definitely. A Plate to Call Home is presented by me, Gary Megan, and produced by Dave Swalensky and audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.